This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, folks, welcome back to last Mount Westwire football podcast edition. Wrapping up the, well, not wrapping up, sorry. We are continuing the division previews. We're going with UNLV Rebels today. Check us out, as always, MWR.com, Facebook, Twitter, Mountain Swire, MWC Wire, Instagram, where we post random graphics. Jeremy Moss with Matt Kennerly, and now we're in the West Division once again with the uh, Tony Sanchez fighting Rebels. Are the, okay, so is, is the running Rebels moniker strictly <laughs> for the basketball teams, or can this apply to the football team as well? I was wondering about that when I was describing the team. I am 98% sure it's basketball only. I almost feel like they should make an exception for this year's team, at least. Yeah, they have a uh, – because there's a, this guy, you heard of him, um, Lexington Thomas. He's pretty good running the ball, right? Pretty good. Um, let's see here. I'm looking at some Google searches for running Rebels right now. There's something two days ago from Las Vegas Sun. Let's see if it's basketball or football. It's basketball. So <laughs> I'm guessing it is basketball only, but for this year, you're right. For who they have coming back running the ball, they – might I know he says about a couple teams, they're gonna have one of the more dominant running attacks in the conference. So I'll, I will allow it. <laughs> and and UNLV fans feel free to chime in and either accept or reject this. Yeah, because you have Charles Williams back from injury. Armani Rogers can run a bit. Uh, Xavier Campbell. Yeah, let us know if it's way out there. Charles. Um, oh, sorry, Charles Williams listed twice here. Never mind. Um, but yeah, let us um, let us know if it's an accurate name we should go by this year, especially if they. Maybe lead the conference in some rushing category, which maybe it's possible. Reasonable. Because we are voting. Well, never mind, I can't say that because we're in time order. We're in a time continuum here, so I can't say something I was going to say. So we'll see if Lexington Thomas makes the all conference team, which may or may not have already happened. Yeah. So I don't know at the moment because it's going to be happened by then. But where should we start with? Um, Tony Sanchez is uh, a few years removed from high school coaching. Can we still call him a former high school coach because that was his last job? I mean, I guess I'll allow it. Thank you. Just like I'll allow running Rebels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think he's far enough into his tenure in, in Vegas where, you know, we've we've seen him slowly build something. And, you know, even though 2017 did represent another step in kind of building this long-term foundation, you know, and the fact that they won five games last year, which is, I think their best win total since their bowl year back in 2013. Should have been six. Should have been six, maybe could have been seven. Mm-hmm. If you really look back at the whole picture, you know, maybe no team in the conference had a weirder season last year than UNLV did because, of course, we all remember, you know, the Howard loss, right? But, yes. you know, but they blew a 27 point lead at Air Force. I think a lot of people forgot about that. You know, they had, a, State, they had a right? huge they had a huge lead at Utah State and then got blown away in the second half of that game. Um, they beat Fresno State. And then when they were right there out at the doorstep of bowl eligibility, they lost the Fremont Cannon game to Nevada. So, you know, you could say, yes, you know, there was a little bit of progress. 
But you could also definitely make the argument that they left a lot on the table. And, you know, I think we, we talked about this earlier in the offseason when we were talking about dark horses for the conference. I'm really interested. I'm very excited for what this team could do, because I think, you know, this could be the first time that we really start to see, you know, their recent recruiting successes pay a lot of dividends and, you know, an offense that has some defined strengths in a defense that has brought in a lot of young talent over the last couple of years. You know, I'll, I'll, I said back in March, I think it was, that I thought that this could be a dark horse contender for the Mountain West Conference title. And I still kind of think that Ooh. here here in late July. Fire. <laughs> um, you're not wrong because last year, think about it as well. Like, if you look at those close losses or blown leads, that could have had maybe nine wins last year. I think we talked about that at some point. Like, had things gone, which it never goes perfectly, but three of those games, eight victories right there, possibly. The two big leads blown and the Howard loss. Plus, Armani Rogers is out for a little bit. They didn't bring back uh, Johnny Stanton, who's playing – or was it Stanton who played linebacker and came back to QB with Kurt Palandek? And he did they, special teams, too. And special teams. They flipped around quarterback, so that was a little bit of a concern injury-wise. Just stuff happened, unavoidable. But they could have had – you're right. Last year, had things gone well, they should have, at worst, gone bowling. Could have won, like, eight or maybe even nine games last year for blowing a couple leads. So if things go right, like, they have, like we said, one of the best running attacks. Yeah, they lose uh, Devontae Boyd, wide receiver. They should be okay in there. But another year for Rodgers, and he's shown what he's been – pretty good player. Like, he had a nothing – he had one, I forget what it was, one game late in the year where he just blew up like 400 total yards. But he does need to improve like his passing percentage, uh, not getting sacked just too many times, finding the end zone more often than not, than interceptions. So, and they bring a ton of talent back, like not just Rodgers, but look at, like I mentioned, those running backs. Charles Williams is back from injury. Um, Rodgers will run probably for, he ran for 915. I don't know if he'll get that, but a couple hundred yards easily, maybe four to 500. And that was with him missing games too. Receiver, yeah, they, they lose Boyd, but look who else they have back. They have, like, Brandon Presley, Kendall Keyes, um, Darren Woods, um, lots of guys back. Like, even Lexington Thomas caught eight catches. That's for a running back. There you go. handful more touches for him. So they have, and was it, most of their offense, uh, about almost you know, two starters back from offensive linemen last year and a couple who played over their career. So it's, this is, like, one of the few times we could say we know what we, while we, well, maybe not don't really know, we have a lot of, stuff in place to know what the Rebels can do. And their offense, they're not going to be this joke of a team anymore. They're going to be better than last year offensively. And so that's where, if they're going to go six wins, seven wins, like you said, Dark Horse, they have enough talent back. The big concern for me really is more consistency at the quarterback and finding a couple more offensive linemen. And, and when you look at how they produced, I think it's important to note that, you know, they held on to a lot of gains that they've made in – you know, from 2016 to 2017. And you kind of have a sense of where they can improve heading into 2018. Just, you know, and I'll focus specifically on Rodgers for a second because, you know, you're right. He did miss some time with a concussion. And, you know, I think he missed uh, two starts. But if you look at his numbers, you kind of know how he, can, how he can improve. You know, yes, on the one hand, he did average almost seven and a half yards per carry on the ground. That's a huge asset to a team that's already three deep as far as running backs are concerned, you know, and not only running backs, but explosive running backs. But 
I don't think there's any argument that he can improve quite a bit as a passer. You know, one of the things you notice right away is if you look at the splits by down, for instance, you know, his rating on first downs was 154. It's pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. On second down, it was 129. On third down, it was just 94. And especially in more obvious passing situations when it was, you know, third and seven or more, you know, he had a quarterback rating right around 70. And so, you know, if he can improve even a little bit, like if, if he can improve even to below average, you know, one of the things you noticed from the entire team last year is, you know, in more obvious passing downs, at least as they're defined by Bill Connolly over at Study Hall, you know, they were 119th in, you know, S&P plus on those specific downs, you know. And so that's one area of improvement. The other area that I think could make a huge difference for this team is, you know, they lost a lot of their games as far as how efficient they were at scoring when they got inside the opponent's 40-yard line. And Rodgers was a big part of that because he only completed 41% of his passes once he got inside the opponent's 40-yard line. He had, you know, four touchdowns against two interceptions. And I think his quarterback rating is right around, you know, 80, 85 or something like that. So long story short, you know, there's at least, you know, in in more quarterback dependent situations where you need your guy under center to make a play. Those are at least two spots where if he can take a step forward, that makes this offense a lot more dangerous. And when you consider the running attack, you know, we know that, you know, Lexington Thomas obviously is the Mountain West's leading returning rusher. He averaged over six yards a carry. And Charles Williams, even though he missed all of last year, you know, besides the first game with injury, let's not forget he averaged almost five and a half yards per carry back in 2016. And Xavier Campbell over the last two years has averaged, you know, right around 4.5 yards per carry. So even though you get the sense that this is a team that knows what it's going to do, you know, when they need to pass, you know, if they can be a little bit better at it, that's going to make the difference between some of those games that they lost last year and some that they might win this year. I think you're right because we know they're going to run well. And so what are teams going to do? They're more likely going to want to and scheme against stopping the running attack more. So that can mean stacking the box, changing more, um, more kind of run blitz stops, have like a safety step up here or there. So like I said, if he can get his average up a couple more points, because QB rating higher. Yeah, they lose Boyd, but they have enough guys coming back to be fine in the passing game. So it's going to come down to be if it's like when kind of San Diego State or maybe even Air Force a little bit. It's like you don't want to you have a team where you're going to run the ball overwhelming majority of the time. But or even Mexico, I guess, going back to like Cole Gouch, you guys like that, where they can't when it's third and long, you can schedule you can scheme your defense to be, hey, I'm either going to blitz everybody or drop nine back and make him try to beat me. Yeah. And so, what if you, you know, I'm going to get there, but when UNLV, if they can throw the ball a little bit, they'll be great if they can do it because then defenses can't. Because here's the thing the passing game may only be just a hair better, but if they can run as well as we think they can run, even with them bringing seven, eight guys to stop whoever's running the ball, whether it's Rodgers, Williams, Thomas, anybody out there, if defense realizes, okay, we if they still can't stop it, but okay, then you, Sanchez, all right, let's do play action, let's run this passion around, they could start having success passing the ball. That'll loosen things up. And let's just say he throws, goes four of not, four of eight, you know what I mean? Like five, completes five or seven passes on one drive. 
They're mm-hmm. the rest of the game. They're not going to say, okay, that was a fluke one drive. They may still sh- shadow more or st- lean more towards the top of the run, but they can't bring everybody on there now, which will open everything up. And Rodgers may only go 40% the rest of the game, but that one drive where it went like five or seven, they're going to always know he's a threat to do that. And so passing game, just be a little bit better. It could be a world of difference for maybe winning a couple games. Yeah, and um, you know, we talked about those passing downs a minute ago and how – you know, regardless of whoever was in our center, UNLV struggled in yeah. that department last year. If you compare that to what they did on standard downs, and, you know, if you don't have the definition in front of you, I'll just give it to you real quick. It's first downs, second and seven or fewer, third and four or fewer, fourth and four or fewer. Do you know where UNLV ranked in those downs last year? Let us know. Let everyone know, Matt. Well, they were 39th as far as S&P Plus, but they were 11th in success rate. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, is owed to Lexington Thomas as, you know, not only being one of the best overall runners in the conference, but, you know, you look at his splits and he didn't really have any situations where he was struggling to run the ball. Like when they needed him on first downs, he was averaging 5.7 yards per carry, you know, so if they wanted him to keep the offense on schedule, he did a great job of doing that. And. I don't really see a reason to expect anything less, you know, and, you know, even if he it, you know, gets a little more of a breather because Williams is back to 100 percent, you know, that's only going to help this team in the long run. Quick question back in the center. Are we just missing? I could have already did. And he's already come after us on Twitter. Max Gilliam from Cal. Is he destined to be the backup this year? I don't I haven't seen an official death chart. Excuse me, depth chart. Um but I wouldn't be surprised if only because, you know, he transferred out of Cal, spent a year at Saddleback College in in Arizona, and he completed a, well over 60% of his passes last year. You know, he had 10 touchdowns, had, you know, showed an ability to make plays with his arm and with his legs. And so even though they have options back there, you know, Markel Grayson's a redshirt freshman, and they did bring in a three-star recruit, Kenyon Oblad, this past you know, I can't remember which signing class he signed with in December and in February or whatnot. So they've got like three or four, three star guys back there at a minimum. But I would guess because Jilliam is the guy who has the most collegiate experience under his belt already, that he's probably got the inside back to that QB2 job. But you don't think he has any chance to unseat Armani? If you ask him, he'll say that he's there to compete. You may <laughs> remember that us. last yeah. year. And, you know, I think, you know, at a minimum, iron sharpens iron, or so the saying goes. And so, you know, even if he pushes Rodgers to be a little bit better, you know, if, you know, knock on wood, Rodgers misses time with injury again, I would not expect a huge drop off to Jillian if he ends up under center for a game or two. Yeah, you don't have to bring a, for- a defender to play quarterback. Exactly. He's already practicing with the team. It's just I saw his name, remember, when he commented to us. It's like, yeah, you come and compete. But also, if you switch like that, it's like, well, how much does your offense change? Because I don't know a ton about him. I don't know if he ran as well as Rodgers did. That's what makes him good. He'll extend plays. He will – they'll do some – you see how they have some running plays designed just for him at times. And so mm-hmm. I assume if you bring in the guy, Max, to come play, it's like he probably could throw a bit better. But that running ability is part of the offense. That's where yeah. bootlegs, naked boots, play actors will come into play for this team. And so I just wanted your thought on that. I, I don't think he'll be the starter, probably be the backup. 
but like I said, if injuries come about, come about because if you're running like um, Rogers does, it's always a threat to get hit if you don't slide right or just tackled in open field where you're not protected as a QB in the pocket. And then you have a guy there. So let's go to the last bit of the offense. I would say the offensive line. They do have a couple one a couple guys back. One is honorable mention all conference. You have Nathan Jacobson, Justin Polo who started. Everybody else is gone, but you have a few guys who have a handful of career starts on the t- on the team. And so this is going to be an area where they're going to have to find these guys. Like maybe it's like Aaron Jaron Caldwell's three twenty. These guys are huge, three twenty five, three ten, three twenty. They have guys like freshmen, true freshmen. You see this, Amani mm-hmm. Trigright, six four, three twenty five. He may not play this year, but they have enough guys who are huge to just think how good that line's going to be running the ball, running behind guys where it's a, almost a about a 1,500-pound offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think I might be a little less concerned, if only because they you know, had a little bit of bad injury luck last year. But it had the effect of you know pushing guys into the starting lineup and getting them experience that's going to serve them pretty well this year. You know, for instance, you know, you have Jacobson at one tackle spot, but then you have, you know, someone like Donovan Outlaw who started four games last or played in four games last year, excuse me. And, you know, Jaron Caldwell, who made, you know, one start and spent most of his time at guard. You know, both of those guys could be, you know, I would expect them to you know, protect Rogers's blind side, you know, fairly well if he can improve, you know, get rid of the football a little bit. And then you know, they have someone like Zach Singer, for instance, who only played in a few games last year before he missed the majority of the year with injury. He's going to be back. Um, you know, Justin Polu, who I believe was an honorable mention last year, you know, he started all 12 games. He's back. So, you know, they have a bunch of guys and, you know, and I didn't even mention guys like, you know, Sid Acosta, who redshirted last year, but he's a Juco product who could easily step in at center to replace John Dre Sanders. So they have options, and I think as long as they stay healthy, you know, this is a deeper unit than I think a lot of people are going to expect. And, you know, to kind of reiterate what we were saying earlier, we know what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to line up and punch people in the mouth. And if they can improve upon what they've been able to do in the last couple of years, you know, for instance, they were actually a little bit better as far as stuff rate last year than they were in 2016, you know, which, you know, for those of you who don't remember – it's essentially plays that were stuffed at or behind the line of scrimmage. And so, you know, they were, you know, roughly the same as they were two, you know, two years in a row. And they were, you know, right around the national average as far as power success rate, which is basically just how well you do in short yarded situations. So if the, you know, with a little bit of better health, you know, as long as they can get this offensive line situation sorted out, personally, I'm not too concerned about it. I guess my concern is that lack, um, lack, it's just lack of guys who had a ton of starting experience, which is fine. Like you mentioned, injuries, guys came in last year to play, Juco guys. But beyond that, maybe I'm looking too much into a depth, but look what happened to Wyoming last year. Look what happened, you mentioned UNLV. When guys go down in the starting lineup, your depth is pretty thin. And so it's always an injury risk and injury luck type of deal. But I guess you're right. The talent's there to start up, the, the starting five, whatever, whoever that may be. But it's still, and if you look at the recruiting numbers, they're, uh, they're okay. They're a little bit better, better than they used to be. So there's a couple of guys who could step in. But it's just once you get to, like, guys 7, 8, 9 on the offensive line, that's where it gets iffy. And UNLV, they haven't been in a bowl game in how long? Is it how good are those guys going to be if 
somebody goes down for a little bit. That's all my concern is that I think they'll be okay starting the ball, starting up front, running the ball, because that's obviously their main thing they want to do. But I'm a little, not too uneasy, but just a little bit in case of one or two, one or two guys goes down for a little bit, which is going to happen, or even just get tired in the game. You know what I mean? You have a 15 play drive touchdown, you, you score, you score points. Your defense gives up something quick for whatever reason, three and out. You're back in the field again. It's that's that's just all my it's all concern for any team, but a team that hasn't recruited all that great even within the conference. That's where I'm a little iffy at. That's all. Not too concerned, but just a little bit. And see, I, like I said, I think I would disagree because you mentioned like you know linemen seven, eight, and nine. And you know if you look back over their recruiting classes, you know seven, eight, and nine are you know two star bordering on three star guys like you know Justice Uluwasan, for instance, uh, Julio Garcia, who was a local product from I believe Bishop Gorman. Um, you know, Brian Catchings in the most recent class, you know, maybe he plays his way into the conversation a little bit. So, you know, it may just be a difference of opinion, but, you know, I have a little more confidence maybe than you that they can kind of keep this thing rolling that they've been able to do the last couple of years. To me, the bigger concern that maybe I should have mentioned before, you know, in is tied, I think, to Rodgers' growth as a passer, because one of the other things that I think he can improve upon sack rate of 10.4 percent last year. If he can cut that down even a little bit, you know, that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, sacked 22 times. Yeah. That's uh, – and how many games do you – I don't have it here. What do you play? Nine Ten games. games. Ten games, so it's just over two a game. That's about their average, too. If you look at it for what they gave a bull year, they gave up 24 sacks in 12 games. So it's two mm. a game. So he is in a slightly worse, partly because he runs around a bit more than Palandek or Johnny Stanton. Mm. So the sacks are going to be there. But you're right, if he could cut that down a couple, like he had minus 135 sack yardage. So if he can either part of a couple of things, he runs a lot or not throwing the ball away, that's always a concern. Like, who cares? You'd rather have second and 10 or third and 10 than second and 15, third and 13. Just get rid of the ball sometimes. Don't try to force it. And that comes with experience, too. He's played a, almost a full season, just about he redshirted, but live action about 10 games. That will come with playing again this year and where, okay, I realized, okay, I don't need to keep the ball until the very last second. Maybe just step out of bounds. Well, I guess that's a sack, but you know, I mean, throw it away or something instead of taking that risk. Instead of trying to run for one yard and then you get turned around in minus three because you try to do some spin move as a quarterback and turn your back to the field. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, yeah. It's I expect their offense to be better. It's there's right. Their sack rate and how the offensive line. It's good. I probably it's probably good. Maybe I'm nitpicking too much. Maybe that's what I'm looking at. It's partly because my spect- skepticism, skepticism, I should say. UNLV hasn't been a good team forever, so why should I have this confidence that everything's going to work out great for them? Well, let me give you one more reason that we haven't talked to you about yet. What do you got for me? I am really interested in how this group of receivers takes a step forward this year. Because, you know, I liken them to, you know, maybe their in-state rival Nevada where, you know, I don't know that they have one guy who has established himself quite as quickly as, for instance, McLean Mannix did as a true freshman last year. And, you know, they don't have kind of the proven depth of a Fresno State. But, you know, that might be one of those areas, at least in my opinion, where they've been able to recruit really well in the last couple of years. And you kind of started to see toward the end of the year, you know, just the kind of big play capability that these guys brought to the table. And... You know, I'm thinking most specifically about Brandon Presley and Darren Woods, you know, because, you know, they were both sophomores last year. They both, you know, obviously had to deal a little bit with the, 
you know, quarterback transitions from game to game in the middle of the year. But in four November games, Presley had 14 catches and averaged almost 20 yards catch. And Woods had 19 catches, which was in the top 10 in the conference. He averaged over 15 yards a catch. And, you know, behind him, someone like Drew Tedgman was a three-star guy. He's going to be a sophomore this year. You know, Kendall Keyes, for instance, he's been a part of this program. Forever? You know, for, <laughs> it seems like forever, yeah. Yes. But, you know, he's, you know, he's going to be back. And so the, the, now all of a sudden you're talking about four guys who, you know, even if they don't have, you know, someone in their ranks that's going to catch 80 balls for 1,000 yards or something like that, you know, if they can improve just a little bit across the board, you know, all of a sudden this is a, a very deep unit that I think could give a lot of defense headaches. Yeah, and losing Devonde Boyd, like he was their main guy, but his catcher was awful. He caught less than fifty percent of his passes. Like he, well, I don't remember if they're all overthrows, drops, but it's not like he was hauling in catches. Like just look at like Brandon Presley had. What, 17 fewer targets had the same amount of catches. They had nearly the same amount of yards, amount of yards, same touchdowns, but he caught a good 14% more of his passes that came his way. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a high degree of difficulty, if only because, you know, at least over the, his last two seasons as a Rebel, you know, his yards per target were 8.9 and 8.7. So it's not like he was catching a lot of screens and having to do something with it. They were asking him to make plays, you know, yeah. fairly, you know, down the field more often than not. Well, yeah, he had 18 yards to catch, but I think Presley could serve that same purpose because his target rate was a bit higher at 10. So it's, I don't know, it's it is more difficult. I just I, I always a vision void. He also had what broken arm last year, the year, year before I think. He's had some injury luck, unluckiness, but his everybody else catches the ball for better than him. He's one of the worst on the team catching the balls outside of uh, well, he put that play last year. But he like if he's your go-to guy, you got to catch at least over half your passes, and he wasn't doing that. And so everybody coming back, like I said, if they get a couple, uh, just a yard, extra yard here per catch there, uh, catch rate percentage or two better here, it's going to be a big deal. And I think it all comes together, but they have the depth. Like, they're overall offensively, as we mentioned. They bring back, what, uh, what's the percentage for a talent back? But uh, I don't have, um, shoot, I used to have at least At least by Phil Steele, I think they're, if I remember Most correctly, it. their yards returning is at least in the top 40 nationally. Yeah, it's pretty high. So I, used to, I thought they'll see how, like, the percentage. Oh, here it is, yeah. They bring back 70% of their offensive production. It's pretty good. So, yeah. So, in D, let's just go defense, which is about two-thirds. They bring back most of the people there, but defense has been, like, I'm joking at their defensive radar. It looks like a fish or something, or a, flat, a rose on its side, or maybe a, a, a weird Pac-Man. But they weren't good in certain care, like efficiency. They are one of the worst in the country. Like their best, their best category was allowing 20 yards passes per game, and that was still middle of the pack nationally. <laughs> they weren't very good defensively in basically any category. Like yards per completion, they're bottom. Passing S and P, they're like in the very middle, like which is 130 on about. Was that four or five categories? Pretty low mm. down on the list. So, if they're going to get better, offense is there. Defense is where, if they can take even a little step forward, like you said, offensively, if they can do a step on defense, that could be huge for them. But then again, these guys like Mike Hughes Jr., Jason Fayo, there's a, there's like a couple DBs who are starting last year. So, that's going to be a unit where they're not gonna, like. Here's the weird thing: they gave up all these big leads. Was it because the offense wasn't scoring or the defense allowing too many points? It's sort of both, more defense, but 
are are they going to give up these double digit leads they have? It's like they got to figure something out because it's gonna it's not just on the defense because offense maybe I'm trying to remember some stuff last year but may, maybe they're more conservative, which puts the defense in a bind when their offense is going three and outs or having like these small three or six play drives and defense gets slammed because they're out on the field again and just too many plays. But defense is what they have to if they're going to be good like you said maybe contend for the tight conference or division title. Defense has to be a lot better. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And, you know, we mentioned when we were talking about the offense that we know that there's at least a couple of defined ways that if they can improve, that offense could be something special. That definitely holds true for this defense, too. If yep. only because, you know, you, you look at some of the numbers from last year, um, you know, for instance, adjusted sack rate. I don't. I admit that I don't remember offhand the you know, math behind making those adjustments to adjusted sack rate. But long story short, they were dead last in the country in adjusted sack rate on defense. You know their overall havoc rate, which is just you know the ability to you know create tackles for loss, you know passes defended. Um, as a defense, they were 126th in the in in the nation last year. You know. Or, you know, if I can give some metrics that maybe more people will understand, you know, we talked about Lexington Thomas being able to keep the offense on schedule. You know, last year, you know, first down run defense, UNLV averaged or they allowed rather an average of six yards per carry on first downs. And on second downs, it's, you know, a little over five yards per carry, 5.1. So, when opponents wanted to move the ball on the ground against this team last year, they could. And to me, that suggests that, you know, if there's one area where even though they're bringing a lot of guys back, if there's one area that has a lot of prove it to them, it's those guys on the off, on the defensive line. And I'm thinking specifically about, you know, guys coming back like Nick Dadashian and Roger Mann, who, you know, paired defensive ends coming back is usually a pretty good sign but yeah. last year between the two of them how many tackles for loss did they have uh, what seven total eight total it looks like not many it's not it's not it's not that many you know dadashian had six and a half right and man had you know four and a half but you know they only had three sacks between them as well you know as a team unlv i believe was next to last in the conference in tackles for loss the only team to allow or to earn fewer tackles for loss was air force you know so that's one area where they can improve but even then you know getting to the passer you know they only had 11 sacks as a defense last year too pressure give me the pressure that's what they need to do where is that pressure going to come from is it going to be from those two guys on the end or is it going to be you know can they find someone to replace mike hughes on the interior whether it's someone like salanoa ala willie who's a senior whether it's a young guy like Kolo Wasike, who's a sophomore, he's another one of those big-time recruits that they brought in the last couple of years. You know, they have choices, but those guys are going to have to step up because if they can, that's going to make life a lot easier for what I think are pretty intriguing unit of linebackers. Well, it's not just that. Like, tackles lost, they were near the bottom of interceptions as well. Mm -hmm. They had, what, seven total picks? Not many pass pass breakups were oak a little bit better, but just it's weird thing is like the amount of they didn't turn the ball over that many times, but they also didn't get the ball back for themselves because they were 
should have had in front of me here. They were, what, plus one on the year? Or, sorry. You know football's getting close when CFB stats has 2018 listed under there. Oh, yeah. And, I keep, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, crap, it's nothing. Wait, oh, 2017, sorry. But they were plus four despite not it, – it's it's a good and bad thing. They, they did not um, turn the ball over too much in offense to be a positive side, but they also didn't get any on their own end for defense. Like, they only lost 15 – total balls, which was pretty good, which was the lead leading was Boise. For, here's the thing. It's Boise, Fresno, San Diego State, then Hawaii and UNLV, 13 to 15. But they well, didn't they didn't get get any on their own. Like, they didn't gain any. They're also at the bottom on gaining turnovers in 18, which is at the other end. Well, I think one thing we haven't really talked about with a lot of teams is, you know, the whole idea of fumble luck, which mm-hmm. – you know, if you read Football Outsiders, you'll probably be familiar with this. But if you don't, it's essentially the idea that, like, everything leading up to, like, actually recovering a football that's on the ground is a skill. Like, you know, forcing a fumble is a skill. Picking up a fumble once it's on the ground is not. And, you know, one of the things that UNLV benefited from last year is maybe a little bit of fumble luck. Because, you know, they picked up 12 out of 20 which is 60%, that was, you know, above the Mountain West average, obviously, which would have been 50%, I think. Um, but, you know, if they take a step back in that regard, one of the ways that they're going to be able to make up for that is just being able to be more disruptive in general, just being able to, you know, stop plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. You know, but if that's the, the defense... they, they need to do that. That's, the, that's where they're going to have their biggest turnaround is, Getting to the quarterback and forcing turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, they just need to figure out a way to, you know, create, you know, less big plays because, you know, opportunity rate, for instance, that's another thing I didn't mention. That is just basically, you know, the amount of explosiveness that a runner has after five yards. They were dead last on defense in that, too. And, you know, maybe that is something that falls to the linebacking core, which, you know, has everybody coming back. And I think that they are a very intriguing unit together because, you know, Gabe McCoy last year, for instance, maybe had a little bit of an unforgiving task trying to clean up, trying to clean up on the second level more often than not. Yeah. But, you know, he was their second leading tackler last year. He only had three tackles for loss, but he's coming back. And they're plugging in a guy who I, I like his potential as being maybe the next Jeffrey Allison type in Farrell Hester the second. You know, because he was one of their big recruits, I believe, in the 2016 class or 2017, excuse me. But, you know, he played a little bit as a freshman and, you know, he's going to be anchoring that defense. I think he's slated to start at middle linebacker. So, you know, if he can step in and make plays, that's going to be a huge asset for them. And then, of course, you know, Javin White coming back. I think he's replacing Bailey Lalagi. You know, that's a, a young and deep and fairly talented group between them where, you know, if they can, if they can just make more plays, you know, we talked about the the fact that they were really lacking in havoc rate, you know, those three guys playing at a high level is going to make a difference. So we're saying all these ifs, like if they can get to the quarterback, if they can turn the ball over, if they can intercept, if they have better fumble luck, yeah. what's going to happen? Like that's a lot to go right to improve on to say, okay, they will be, it seems like they had a lot – well, it's going to say a lot going against them, but a lot of categories where, like I mentioned, the very start of defensive talk, if you look at their radar, the defensive radar, it's very small. 
for mm-hmm. most everything. If they can improve, what is ten percent too much to improve? Like if they improve ten percent on turnover margin, is that too much to ask for? Because that would be let's just say I, I have this stat up here. I have the uh, turnover margin. If they are, if the margin is ten percent more, that would put them at just four and a half extensively turnover margin. Is that too much to ask for? So instead of losing fifteen, they lose thirteen and a half, like fifteen to uh, one point five, or they gain one and a half more. Is that too much to ask for on like the turnover margin, like ten percent in certain areas? That doesn't seem like a lot. Well, let, let's but let's reframe that question. Okay. Can they be if they can be ten percent better? Total defense. You know, they allowed 6.2 yards per play last year. So 10% of that is a little more than half a yard. Mm -hmm. So if they can improve by half a yard per play, all of a sudden they're moving from ninth in the conference to sixth. And I think if if they can do that, that's going to be huge. Okay. Is that too much to ask for? Is 10% too much to ask for? Maybe. And And that maybe leads into my biggest question which is, you know, how was the secondary going to come together? Because I think if they had a strength last year, it was in their ability to defend against the pass. Because, you know, on the year, they allowed, you know, 61.8% completion rate, which, you know, was a little bit below average in the conference. But if you look at it, what they did, that quarterback rating, you know, they finished seventh overall, which is pretty solid. You know, maybe you would want to see them create another turnover or two, but, you know, they were in the middle of everything, and that's fine. But this time around, they're having to replace both of their safeties and at least one of their cornerback positions. Uh, so, you know, we know Jericho Flowers is going to have one of those positions locked down. We know Dalton Baker is going to be back at free safety. He was their leading tackler last year. But who's going to who's gonna step up and claim that other cornerback spot? Because, again, they do have options – but but who is that another who is that other guy going to be and is it going to be someone like Evan Ostry coming in opposite Baker, or are they going to turn to a young guy like Greg Francis who, again, a former three star recruit who's a sophomore this year, or is Philip Hill going to step in and play right away? I think one thing that we still don't know about that could make a huge difference is whether someone like Alex Perry is going to be eligible. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, he was a four-star guy who originally committed to Arizona State, you know, came home to play for Tony Sanchez. He's a Bishop Gorman product. He's a Las Vegas kid. But as of right now, we don't know whether he's actually going to be eligible for this year or not. But if he is, you know, four-star defensive backs don't come to the Mountain West every day. So that could be a huge deal for them. Well, yeah, yeah, because they they've lost like Jericho Flowers is really good. They lose like you said, you got a couple guys you mentioned already. But if they can get that type of talent, man, that just maybe that's the like I say, one person's gonna make a big deal, but it just adds more talent around you. And all I could say, this Rebel defense, not to be rude, but it needs all the help it can get for the most part. So if he's eligible, that's can't be can't be a bad thing, right? Cannot be a bad thing. Definitely, and I mean, it's like you said, there's. You know, you can start talking about the ifs, but at a certain point, you kind of step back and, and notice just how many ifs there are. Yeah, there's a lot. Too many. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but if it comes together, you know, maybe that's another if, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it will a little bit. Because if they realize that, like, here's the thing that's going to help the defense out as well. 
the offense is going to be better. They're going to score more. I think it. I think it will be better. It's going to score more points, which will put less pressure on the defense to make all these stops. Because how bad does it have to feel? Where like I go back to you mentioned the three touchdown difference they lose to Air Force, the big loss to Utah State after the, having that big lead. I'd have to go back and watch the games, but I don't know if it was more the offense being more conservative or the defense just allowing stuff to happen. So you'd hope if this offense can build more leads, whether it starts up at 3, 6, 13, tw- I mean, start building leads a little bit, defense should be able to play better. Maybe they could be more aggre- not aggressive, but take a few more chances here. They're like, okay, I'm going to go get for this pick. Or I'm going to try for the, like, not go and just punch the ball behind the guy because Deke can get it, but maybe doing something like oh, I'm going to dive to get this pick instead of just waiting for the tackle for him to catch it. Maybe there could be a few things like that, but it's going to go both ways. The offense has to get their leads, which I think they will. De- I should get. You would think if you have a good lead, that should make the defense more relaxed if you have a double-digit lead at some point in the game. Not ease where it's like, okay, you can let plays go, but if the offense has good leads and you're like, okay, I know I can do this, I can relax, and I don't know, maybe there's pressure on the Like, it's there's a lot of things that go on, but if the offense plays better and has these leads like they did last year, maybe the defense will realize like they just got to do their thing and not be too wound up or too tight. Uh, you know what I'm getting at? Like that, maybe that's what some of these guys are thinking. I don't know for sure, but it's just hard to imagine you have this huge lead on offense and then like crap, the defense lets all this out to happen, lets them out to dry. So maybe if they can, if I'm, I'm long winded here, I apologize, but if the offense does really good, it can only, it can only do nothing but help the defense. Because they're working with leads and can play. I, I assume if you have a big lead, you're going to want to you're going to play better because you have a big lead to work with. But again, they blew those two last year. So, well, here's here's another thing that we haven't talked about yet that could make a big difference. Not kicking field goals and getting touchdowns. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but they do have a new defensive coordinator. That's right. We who, passed on that. Whoops. Who's considered by a lot of people as kind of a rising star in the coaching ranks. Tim Skipper, you know, we're very familiar with him at Fresno State. Um, mm-hmm. And there was some talk that they might actually pull a Zach Hill and, and pry him away from UNLV to serve as, you know, the new defensive coordinator here. But, you know, he's UNLV's defensive coordinator now. He's also their linebackers coach. He was the linebacker coach at Florida last year. And so, you know, he has at least a little bit of experience in working with talented dudes. You know, for instance, you know, for those of you who are, aren't following the Gators fairly closely, you know, you may be familiar with a guy like Voshan Joseph, who yeah, had four tackles for loss last year, or someone like David Reese, who had 10 tackles for loss. And he considered a pretty good recruiter, too, which for a team that's been doing that pretty well the last few years, that's definitely not going to hurt. But he's familiar with the Mountain West. You know, he also spent time at Fresno State, at Colorado State. He's coming back to the Mountain West. And, you know, now that he's in charge of the whole thing, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how aggressive he wants to be. Because he's got a lot of interesting pieces to work with. And now he's kind of in a position where he's responsible for overseeing everything. So you think his, um, what he learned at Fresno will should carry over to help out because like I said, they need a lot of help. So that's, I, so we didn't miss that, but what was he at Fresno State? He was the, I want to say linebackers coach. Is that right? Uh, well, first he was a running backs coach and then he spent, you know, 2009 to 2011 as the linebackers slash run defense coordinator. Okay. Gotcha. 
And then he followed the same path uh, at Florida as well. You know, he spent two years as the running backs coach and then spent last year as the linebackers coach. Okay. That doesn't make it. I wanted to make sure I had that right. So that, um, I think that wraps up with the defense. They should be like overall prognostic, prognostication. Is that the right word? Prognicator. What are we guessing? Can we just go guessing? <laughs> there's, there's questions, but at least in my opinion, there's a lot of promise on this defense. If it comes together, they'll be better. All right, let's go to special yeah. teams here. Let's move on. Cause we spent a lot of time on the defense. So, cause there's a lot of ifs and that can lead to, but if this happened, but if that happened, so special teams really quick, cause I apparently overlooked them. I did not this time. They, uh, punting. They'll be okay. Right. They do lose uh, Riley Erickson, but Evan Pantels, Pantels. It's going to be really interesting to see how the punting situation turns out because they were bad last year. And they split time too with punters, so it's like, well, but uh, you can't be worried. I didn't, I didn't real, I didn't realize they were 127th last year net punting. Jeez, that means was, two things. It was just Your a shade. It was just a shade over 30 yards per punt. That means a couple things. Your punter can't punt far or can't punt high and your coverage team can't tackle. Which goes back yes. to defense, right? <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> a I think bit. I mean, I think it'll help that they have a new guy in Hayes Hicken who, you know, had 30 touchbacks on 64 kickoffs. You know, he spent time at Utah a couple of years and that's, you know, Where if you're gonna, if you're, you're going to be a, if you're going to be a specialist anywhere, you might as well go to Utah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've had a couple. Ray Guy, Witters, uh, kickers have been pretty good. Former Solemn, what is he? Uh, what was he? Andy Phillips, who was a downhill skier, also played, also was kicker, did pretty well. So yeah, so hopefully maybe he'll just get the job done. Like I got this, guys, pay attention. But you also mentioned Evan Pantles, and you know he was a guy who was pretty reliable last year. He was 17 of 22 overall, but if I remember correctly, he was also seven of 10 for more than 40 yards. And, you know, that's the kind of asset that not every team in the conference has. And, oh, by the way, when he was hurt for last year or for a game last year, Daniel Gutierrez, their other kicker was five of six. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, even if the offense has some struggles, you know, when they cross midfield again, you know, having (laughs) having two guys who can get you at least three points is, you know, I don't know if it's an extreme rarity, but it's definitely valuable. Yeah, it's it's and then like I said, Pantel's punted a little bit too, so yeah, he was all over the place. Kickoffs, play. I doubt he'll take on every kick duty because it's what he did last year, at least part of the time. He had a what nine kickoffs, so I assume he's going to be their primary place kicker and their deep place kicker guy. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll have Gutierrez be kickoffs like he was last year, which will make sense. So if they can find a decent punter. And then you got return. They, they bring Aero back who returned return the ball. Returning is kind of hard to predict, but like Darren Woods is pretty fine. Uh, Br- maybe Brandon Presley do it, but I don't know. I wonder if Jericho Flowers, who played receiver and now cornerback, was part returning. Whoever they put back there, they have – it wasn't great, but at least it's not bringing in a new guy who can't catch punch or kicks. That's true. They have options back there. So, yeah. I'm not going to – we're not going to break that down much further because they have guys who, ta- who played a lot last year, so that's good enough. So let's – uh. Take a, uh, a brief time out, then we'll go on to the schedule, as we always do, as I end awkwardly. So we'll, we'll be back in a minute, folks, to uh, yeah talk about uh, the 2018 football schedule for our stupid early predictions. All right, ready for this? They op- Matt, they open up UNLV. Before we get to the games, 
Um, we should have we should have mentioned this. Um, we had the most important news we passed on. UNLV Athletics unveils the all you can eat plan for football on season two. Yes, purposes. everybody should be doing that. Why would you not do this? Here's what it got. Package includes all you can eat. There's two packages. Three game package includes, as they place it, three pretty good games, three attractive games. Home games for UTEP. Attractive because that's going to be a victory. Spoiler, I'm getting to that game soon. Fresno State, who they beat last year. Sorry, Matt. And then the Cannon game against, uh, as they put on here. So is this official? Because UNLV.edu says it's UNR. Is that official? Well, you would expect UNLV to say UNR because (laughs) why not take every opportunity to tweak your rival? Exactly. $79 per ticket. So um, what food do they have there? Because we've been to Vegas. They have food from everywhere. It has to be pretty good food, right? It's not just hot dogs and burgers, right? I mean, even if it was, I would still take that package in a heartbeat. All you can eat, because think about it. I was like, I'm going to be out of town. Well, when this airs, I've already got out of town. I was looking to go to a Giants game. Okay, I found some de- decent tickets. Food-wise, I've been to plenty of sporting events. Food's not cheap. Even college, I'm like, you're lucky to get a, a 20-ounce soda or a bottle of water for like under four bucks. That is true. So, like, if you're going to go and get, unless you're at Atlanta Falcons game, which has pretty good concession prices, or you can somehow get to the Masters, you're spending for just one person. Let's just say you don't even get alcohol. You just go with food. 20 bucks probably, right? For a decent meal. For enough food, yeah. I should say. Like, because you're going to get your, let's say, a pizza, a burger, whatever. You get a side of fries, maybe a ice cream, maybe a snack, a nacho snack. Because you're going to eat quite a bit for a game. It's a long day. And you don't eat before. So, it's one of those things where you get a snack, you get a meal, you may get a couple drinks. You're looking at 20, 30 bucks. You could spend 80 bucks easy just on the food itself, right? Oh, yeah. And it was three games or 80 bucks total. Or, no, sorry. Um, so it's $80 per ticket for those three games combined. Is that right? All you in can other eat, words, three game package for $80. Yeah. 80 bucks for other, three games. In other words, get your UNLV season tickets now. <laughs> yes. Because if they're going to be good. Yeah, go get – I don't know if – I've, I've never been to Sam Boyd. I don't know. Too bad it's not the new Raider Stadium because that would be some really good food probably. But, heck, even if it's getting – I like a cheesy pretzel, right? Nachos, jalapenos on the side. Mm-hmm. What is your um, – you go to minor league baseball. What do they have out there that's kind of unique food that you get when you go to like a Fresno Grizzlies game? I mean, for me, there's at least one taco truck. And so that's always – Obviously. That's always a gem, yeah. Uh, they also have really good nachos. With up to three different kinds of meat. Three kinds. But, so, you know, did you ever try that or, pickle dog at uh, Fresno? Wasn't that where I it was did, at? I did not get a chance. Man. I don't know, but here, okay, here's we go. I went to stadiumjourney.com. I used to, I know the guys who run that site. So, they give, out of five, it's a star rating. They give food and beverage of five. They include. As well, all the- as well they should. Okay, plenty of uh, options, including alcohol, obviously, concession stands, um, close proximity, short lines, pizza, burgers, dogs, brats, chicken tenders. That's always a go-to, right? Chicken Mm -hmm. sandwiches. um, What's a bling? And blings, you know what that is? Chicken sandwich and blings? Is that a brand or something? I have no idea. Churros, cotton candy, and pretty good price, too. So here's the thing. If it's um, four to... Because, see, here's you got to calculate your cost-benefit, right? If it's 4 to $9 bucks for, like, a, a main dish, how much do you have to eat to make it worth it? <laughs> That's a good question. But um, whatever you do, buy season tickets to do it. 
Yes. Support Rebel Football and go have some good food and go have some fun. So let's get to the games. They open up not at home. They go to USC. Don't they play USC like every third year, it seems like? Uh, I think so. Or they get all the transfers from USC who don't pan out. They go to Vegas because it's a three-hour car ride from Vegas to Southern California. I mean, I wish I had the rivalry finder in front of me. Um, but I can tell you at a minimum they haven't played in the last five years. It just kind of seems like it. I do know the last time they played at Sam Boyd Stadium, which you were there for. It looks like it was their second Sorry. meeting. <laughs> You're going to blow past that? Okay. That's yeah. Fine. I'm just going to ignore that. <laughs> so they've, they've only played twice before. The last time was in 1997. It seems like they played more than that. Am I, I'm just, I know they had John Robinson, head coach, who was back and forth. Maybe I'm just stinking being oddly. But they play – here's the thing. They play um, USC, new quarterback – um, new no Clay Helms. I'm sorry, I want to kick Clay Helms to the curb every chance I get. Apparently, this is not going to be a close game, is it? I mean, I don't think so. Just because you know USC, like when you really dig in, you know, even though they're replacing you know first round draft pick quarterback and you know God knows how many other NFL draft picks off the top of my head, they have a stupid amount of talent. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the the three guys that they have competing for you know the new quarterback spot is or at least four star recruits including five star J T Daniels, who if I remember correctly has the inside track right now. Um, you know they've got a sophomore coming back Stephen Carr who averaged you know about five and a half yards per carry last year. They have the number one receiver. True freshman Amon Ross St. Brown come in this year. Yeah, they have Michael Pittman, who played in 13 games last year, averaged almost 14 yards a catch. They have four of their five offensive linemen coming back. They have a ton of production on defense coming back. It's probably going to be a long afternoon for the Rebels. It is, because outside of QB, they bring back, like you said, literally everybody. Here's an here's a option that to give Rebel fans a bit of a hope. Last year, USC's rush defense kind of um, faltered later in the year. They do they do bring back like Cameron Smith and uh, Port Augustine, but that's that is an area like I'm not I'm not just kind of pulling for stuff. The rush defense wasn't very good last year for the during the second half of the year. Like uh, their stuff rate was pretty terrible. Their opportunity rate, stuff like that, was pretty low for rushing defense. So if there's an area where UNLV can make some noise, it's going to be there, that where they can hold the ball. Keep it out of the offensive hands, even though a new quarterback, season opener, that's a big deal, despite having everything else around them. I think if they're going to have any success, it's going to be running the ball. And maybe Rodgers has some big game because he's they're down 10-0, 13-0, 14-6, and he has to make some plays with the arm to keep it close. I don't expect them to win, but I do think they can run the ball well, and that's the only way they're going to keep it close because the defense, like I said, still, a lot of it's not defense, and that's a work in progress to perhaps. I don't know. It's just something. Where, just to keep the defense off the field, Rebels. So Tony Sanchez, just run the ball 80% of the time. I hope that works. Easier said than done. <laughs> it is. And maybe do some naked boots with Armani Rogers for a big run. So do you think it's going to be even close? Because right now it's about an 8% pro- win probability. Is that about right? Too low? Too high? Yeah, I think that's about right. I feel like UN- USC is going to be able to pull away pretty early and keep UNLV at arm's length. I think so, too. Then they go they go to UTEP, or they host UTEP, home opener. UTEP is a... They haven't been good in a while, football. UTEP Since. is, uh, they are not good. At anything or just life or what? They're, I mean, 
I mean, it'll be interesting to see where they are a year or two from now. But, you know, if you didn't pay attention to minor football last year, they were owned 12. They do have a new head coach in Dana Dimel, who, if I remember correctly, not a lot of people were terribly excited about bringing him from Kansas State. And they are kind of starting over on both sides of the ball. They don't have a lot of starters coming back. You know, they do have an interesting quarterback in Kyle Oxley who performed a little bit at JUCO. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's basically Colin, Colin Klein, essentially. Is that what he's looking for in this? I mean, I, I wish I had the tab in front of me. I'm pretty sure they were dead last in projected S&P in uh, the country they this are, year. They are projected, yes, 130th at 3 and 9. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're losing, like, their top four tacklers on their defense last year. They're losing, you know, two of their top three runners. They're losing their top receiver from last year. And, oh, by the way, their top receiver last year only had 370 yards. Yikes. So, you know, as as rough as the opener at the Coliseum is likely to be, you know, I would be very shocked if they ended up in another Howard situation. I feel like UNLV is going to roll in this one. He would, and if you look at their offensive radar, it's like outside of um, completion rate where they are barely average, it's all basically 100 or worse in any major statistical category. And I can't even count how many are 120 or worse because how close it is to the center. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'm going victory for the Rebels there. So they'll be one and one. They go to, they play Prairie View A&M. We just actually recently, our guy, Keish, um, Shales put up our or first look at Prairie View A&M. We should say it's a, it should be a victory, but Howard, not, we're not going to break down Prairie View A&M. Go find that and read it. But I'm going to say confidently that's a victory despite last year what happened. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. But there, it could also preview is one of the worst um, SES teams in a long time. All right, then um, what's next here? My I closed my schedule tab here. They have Arkansas State on the road. On the road in Jonesboro. Jonesboro isn't the uh, Red Wolves a Sun Belt favorite? I believe typically. I know There's, they have been in the past. They've there is good. some conversation. I don't know that I'd buy into it personally. Don't say it. That they could be a sleeper for the group of fives play, uh, not playoff spot, but their big money spot. Um, no, sorry. You don't think so? Here's the thing. It's I, I don't want to be that snobby guy because I shouldn't be snobby at all. But when Troy's really good, twelve and zero, like ten and two, they're like not even sniffing any top twenty five rankings at all. And part of it is it's not fair because the Sun Belts, they're they are getting better at the top, like Troy, Arkansas State. They have a couple good teams, but unless they go out and this, it's just a schedule thing. Playoff committee and all that guy, jazz wants schedule, strength of schedule, and playing Sun Belt, and unfortunately it doesn't have it, and playing UNLV, does that really give it to you either? So you're, okay, so I'll answer doesn't that mean question. They're, doesn't mean they're a bad team. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, they could be a really good team, win 10, 11, 12, maybe even 12 games. I just don't think they will get enough, like, respect to get there. I think this is going to be the best test, at least as far as the non-conference slate is concerned about where UNLV actually stands because I mean in those first three weeks let's be real like in in that opener against USC they're punching up in the Mm -hmm. two games after that they're punching down Mm -hmm. but Arkansas State across the board is really really good yeah you know at a minimum they have the Sun Belt's best quarterback in Justice Hansen so he's going to be a really good test for how well UNLV's secondaries come together 
you know, they have one of the top runners in the conference coming back in uh, Warren Wand. He averaged over five yards carry last year. He's going to be a really good test for how that front seven comes together. You know, they're just really solid all across the board. And so, you know, I'm going to be really interested in trying to find this game and watch it because, you know, I think they were only given a 25% chance to win this game. But I definitely wouldn't count them out. Like, to me, this game is under the radar as far as non-conference games that, you know, if you're a Mountain West fan, you're going to want to watch it. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to go with, too. Like, I'm not to poo-poo them being great because they have Alabama on the schedule. Out, here's an interesting note. Out of win probability, they were favored in every game but that one at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Like, a big favorite. They have, um, yeah, App State 55%, but everything else is... If Georgia Southern 67% chance of victory, which is very good odds, more than coin flip, but everything else is 70 plus. And so they, and I guess Tulsa right there, but so they're good. They're projected to be good, run through the Sun Belt. I, but this game, you're right. This is a game where Arkansas State beat, um, did they beat Utah State a couple years ago in like some overtime rainy game, I believe, down there in Jonesboro? Yeah, I think you're right. And so like they're, they're a good team, but this is going to be a test. You're right. This is the most accurate test to where, if they're going to do something special or maybe get to a bowl game, not that this game is going to matter, but we'll know, really know who UNLV is because they're, pro- they're going to be at best, best case scenario, 17 point loss to USC. And then they should roll versus, like I said, Prairie View and get past UTEP pretty easily. This will be a game where it's like, okay, here's where we know because Arkansas State is going to be pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, I think UNLV is going to have a chance because, you know, as good as the Arkansas State offense could be. Their defense is losing quite a bit, and they do have some nice pieces coming back. Like, you know, their nickelback Justin Clifton had 13 pass breakups last year. You know, B.J. Edmonds ended up with three interceptions. He's, I think he's an all-sunbelt performer, or at least pretty close. But, you know, they're replacing three of their four guys along their defensive line, and, you know, Lexington Thomas and Charles Williams might be, you know, their eyes might be lighting up for that particular matchup. It's going to be a really good test. I think so it's going to be a close game. What do you got? But I have this one marked as a loss. Uh, me too. Sorry, it, would not, it would not surprise me if they pull the upset, You know, if everything comes together and they play to their strengths, because I think their strengths line up fairly well with Arkansas State's weaknesses. You know, I think it's probably a lot closer to 50-50 than the numbers suggest. But, sure. you know, Arkansas State's going to be really good. They're going to be a force. I'd expect this game to be on probably ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So get that seven-day trial that week to watch this game. Even though it's TBD, but Sunbelt sent a deal to air FBS games on there. So that's what I expected to land on. Maybe ESPN News, depending on time of day. I'm not sure what games are that week, but that's uh, I would put my money on ESPN Plus airing that game. Yeah. All right, then they have an off week. Then they host um, New Mexico, who there's... So much going on with New Mexico. We're not going to get to it all. Uh, but they just go search New Mexico athletics and you'll see, holy crap, they are bleeding everything. So I already predict this as a victory. One thing about this game is running the ball is going to be key on both sides. It's going to be this could be one of those quicker games because it's going to be run, run, run. I The only way New Mexico – go back and listen to our Lobos podcast. We talk about this game some more. But I have a Rebels victory because New Mexico – could be the worst team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely in the conversation. 
And, you know, this is another instance where if, if UNLV can get their, their issues against, you know, running games fixed, you know, this should be a fairly comfortable win for them. And I think they will be, I think it will be, you know, I think New Mexico will be able to move the ball a little bit. I think they'll be able to score, but this kind of strikes me as the kind of 40, 30 affair that, you know, maybe isn't as close as the final score might suggest. So I have this one as a UNLV win. Yeah. UNLV should win. They, New Mexico just been up or down, up or down. It hasn't been, it's just not been great. And there's other yeah. reasons besides football, but the running game's taken a step back the past couple of years. New OC, Defense just can't get anything done. And with all this stuff surrounding Bob Davey, not even the athletic stuff, losing money, cutting sports, but just the stuff of Bob Davey. It's like there's just a – I again, as I mentioned last time, or any time I mentioned the Lobos, I'm surprised he has a job at the moment. Because if 20% is true or even 10% is true what he did, he probably shouldn't be coaching football. But he is at the moment, so not my decision. But there's too many distractions going on, and they haven't been getting better after they been the co-champs a couple years ago. So – Mexico gets it is the uh, loser there. So we're going to Utah mm-hmm. State. This is um sort of like this. This game will tell because you mentioned Matt. You think you, UNLV has a if things fall right, they have a chance to win the division, right? You're kind I, of in that yeah. Category. I'm, I'm saying it is a non-zero chance. Yeah, well, anybody almost almost is non-zero, but this game versus Utah State, I'm looking more and more at the Aggies, and more people are saying ten wins. 11 wins. Great odds to... Well, not great odds, but the clear second-best team in the Mountain Division. I've seen things like uh, Jordan Love being top quarterback in the uh, conference, or breakout quarterback. So, this is a game like the Arkansas State game where... Or actually, this will be the game where are they going to win the division or not? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of one of those you know, under-the-radar critical games for you know, determining just how legit both of those teams are. And if you recall our Utah State podcast, you may remember that I have this one as a UNLV win. Oh, you do. I do. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I literally cannot imagine the defense playing any worse, (laughs) you know, even on the road than they did in last year's game because it was 28 to 28 at halftime. And then, I mean, let's let's be honest. They just got pantsed after halftime. Sure. Uh, and I I really yeah. don't see that happening again. Like again, I think it'll be a high scoring game. But I, and it, but I do think that UNLV will be able to turn things around and and, and win this one. I got the loss because this will be the second best defense they've played so far. Like is Prairie View's not very good. Obviously, UTEP, Mexico, Arkansas State losing half their talent from last year. This will be the second best defense and. Aggies defense is getting closer to Gary Anderson level than it has been the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. that's part of the reason I think they'll be able to slow down. And I'm being more of a believer of the Aggie offense that they'll and with this Rebel defense not being that great or a lot of ifs, as we said before, how good or not good they'll be. So I'm going to Utah State who will have more. It'll be, I think you're at a lot of points, but I think the Aggie offense will have more success in their defense. It's kind of the edge. I give the edge to Aggies on both sides, like Aggies offense versus Rebel defense. Good Aggies. Aggies defense versus Rebel offense. I think the Aggies will perform better than they than UNLV expects, or it'll be a tougher matchup than people than the Aggies, or excuse me, the Rebels would like to believe because something the Aggies defense has been great. But I think they're mm-hmm. slowly building back up to where, holy crap, this is a good defense once again. And so I think they'll make enough stops. That's why I'm going with the uh, Utah State Aggies here. Yeah. Then Air Force. 
This I remember talking about this in the Air Force preview. It was a tough one because Air Force, as we mentioned, came what two to nine wins, or, or not two to nine, but like two to seven wins, or the big swing is. Mm-hmm. I had this down as a victory for UNLV because I'm just not. After we did our Air Force preview, I'm just not feeling what Air Force has to offer. Even though they bring back a quarterback, they have so many holes at running back coming back. Defense is always iffy. Maybe it's just they shouldn't just say it's like a gut feeling, but. I think the Rebels have it more put together than Air Force does. Yeah, and I actually have this one, if you may recall. I have this one as an Air Force win. So I think this that was one, one of the of those few, games right? where we really disagreed. Yeah. It is. I like Air Force can get it done against any team. That's why that swing is so big out there. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, if you remember last year, they needed a huge comeback in order to pull off that win. But, you know. With the questions, what I consider to be the most pressing questions with that UNLV defense, I kind of see this game unfolding in, in a way in a way that's somewhat similar but somewhat different. Like I don't think Air Force is going to need another comeback to win this game. You know, I think UNLV is probably likely to rally and make the game pretty close in the end. So that's why you think it's uh, Air Force going to get the victory. Yeah, I think Air Force and I think their efficiency is what's going to give UNLV some trouble. Crazy. I, I could see it, but I just think, I don't know. It's, am I buying into the hype that Air Force is going to be that bad? Like everybody's saying they're going to be terrible. They do lose a ton of talent, so it's, it's at home. I'm going to Edge mostly partly because it's at home, so I'll go with that. All right. And then at San Jose State, that's, um, do we need to discuss that? Because it's going to be a victory, right? I do think it'll be a win, yes. Unless Montel Aaron, quarterback, has a big game, which you never know, there's a chance. And you get, they do have Tyler Nevins running the ball, but that Rebel – here's the thing. Rebel, the, uh, not Rebels, but the Spartan Joyce defense, we make, we have all the jokes banked up from years, from years podcasting, Matt. They're still that bad. And so Thomas, Rogers, Williams, whoever's running the ball will have a big game, and that's why they're going to win for me. Yeah, I think there's probably going to be a lot of points between those two teams regardless. I think, I, I think so, because I think we have a little more belief in the uh, Rebels, uh, or excuse me, the uh, Spartans offense. So Fresno State, so you want to start off with this one? Because it's a, this is the biggest game of the year, I think, for UNLV. Oh, absolutely. I don't think they're going to win, but... Okay. <laughs> because, I, I mean, and if you go back and look at last year's game, it was a really strange game, especially in the second half, where it seemed like the Bulldogs were, you know, unwilling to... You know, take shots down the field and try to come back. <laughs> you know, especially down ten, it was seemed like they were very conservative on offense. And you know, now that that unit has had an entire off season together to grow and to get a better grasp of the playbook and everything like that, I just really don't see a situation where UNLV is going to be able to steal up on them again. Like, I think they'll be able to move the ball on the ground, you know, because if, if there's one question that's kind of lingering about Fresno State, it's the defensive line, which we'll talk about more in that Fresno State podcast. But, you know, I do think that overall the Bulldogs defense is going to be good enough to kind of put the clamps on the Rebels in a way that a lot of other defenses early on in the conference schedule maybe won't be able to. All right, so... I am going to – I because here's the weird thing. Last year was on the road. But mm-hmm. It's going to be at home. But Fresno State, like you said, outside defensive line, even there, they bring back literally everybody. Like Marcus McMarion, full spring, full off season. 
not jumping in late camp and sitting the first month of the season. He's going to be ready to go running backs there. Was it, I think, what, four or five offensive linemen are back, if I'm, I'm correct. So offense will be much more improved. You know, it was hit or miss last year, but it'll be much better. Defense brings back nearly everybody else at that front line. So I'm thinking, I, I'm going to say it now, I think Fresno is going to blow him out. Like 28-10 or something. Is that a blowout? Is 28-10 considered a blowout? I think you'd probably have to push it to 35-10. to 10. What about 28-7? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> there we go. It'll be a three-touchdown victory for the for – the, uh, yeah, geez, not Wildcats, the Bulldogs. Geez, where, where am I getting – whatever. Fresno State, big victory over there. That's, a, I guess, my outlandish pick of the day or something. Then they go to San Diego State, which is also going to be a loss for them because that's basically playing the same team back-to-back except maybe a better running game by a little bit. I mean, if I think if there's one – one of the few things you could like set your watch to in the Mountain West <laughs> over the last few years is, I mean, just to be honest, it's UNLV getting their ass kicked by San Diego State <laughs> because last year they lost by 31. You know, two years ago it was 26 to seven. Three years ago it was 52 to 14. Four years ago it was 34 to 17. So even as this team has progressed, they've just never been able to solve the San Diego State defense. And with the amount of talent that the Aztecs have coming back, you know, UNLV might be better, but I don't know if they're ready for that yet. So I'm looking up here as you're talking. So the head-to-head record, um, they've won. They won in 2013. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. How was it 45-18 for UNLV? I wish I could remember that game, but I can't. I cannot. But basically since 19, the past 20 years, UNLV's won six times it's basically like a one win every five-year period yeah essentially what it comes down to and like most of these games are not even close like 41 10 52 14 the 45 19 you have the 24 13 aztec one in 2012 but they're like 48 14 uh 21 7 21 3 you have a classic 7 to 0 tilt back in 2003 huh. <laughs> so but it's it's going to be a continual loss for rebels right there's no there's do you, okay, do you think it'll be a closer game, not a blowout, but a close matchup? Not really. No? Oh, man, you're, you're, you're believing the Aztecs are going to keep it rolling, right? I think so, yeah. All right, so let's move on. Both losses. Uh, at Hawaii, the sort of rival. I'm going to victory, but it's – I'll just go victory because Hawaii, outside of run and shoot, they're going to be as bad as Mexico or San Jose State this year. And their defense – Outside of the uh, what the linebacking group they have, that's not much there. Yeah, I have that as a UNLV win too. All right, final game: Nevada, the Fremont Cannon. How many? Um, we mentioned this last time we did Nevada. What, what do we say? The over/under should be put at like eighty. Maybe. Eighty-five. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. What number would you say no to? Ninety. <laughs> no, yeah, that might be a little too much. Eighty-six and a half is your limit. There we go. <laughs> This will be a fun game because they get the cannon. Obviously, it's finally the final week of the year, last year, this year again. This game, like, you've heard us, we've heard us talk Nevada, but I'm a huge believer in Ty Ganji, um, Kelton Moore, Manic, everybody throwing the ball, catching the ball. This, this game's going to have no defense because both defenses aren't that great. Maybe there's a few players here or there, but I'm going with the Nevada, uh, Nevada victory because it's, even though it's on the road, I just think they'll just score too many points. I, if it's going to be a shootout of any team in the conference, if it's going to be just score as many points as possible, 
I feel like Boise State and Nevada at the very top. And that's why I think this game will be. And I don't think UNLV can keep up scoring as much. Yeah, and, you know, I think this maybe comes down to our contrasting beliefs, but I do have this one as a UNLV win. What? I do. Because, you know, thinking back to last year's game, one of the things that really worked against the Rebels was just the uh, they were really let down by their passing game. You know, Armani Rogers only completed about 50% of his passes. You know, he only threw for 160 yards, took three sacks. And, you know, Nevada as a whole had one of their best overall performances of the year. And maybe more importantly, UNLV had one of its worst offensive performances of the year. I really don't see Lexington Thomas running for just 63 yards again. Probably not. And I think, you know, between him and Charles Williams coming back and Xavier Campbell being back, you know, again, I'm with you. I think there's probably going to be a lot of a lot more points than there have been in at least in recent history. I think it's going to be close, but I do like the Rebels in this one. Dang. All right. So what's your record overall? So my overall record is seven and five and five and three in the conference. All right. I am going six and six and I should keep track of conference play. But I have one, two, three, four, and okay, four and four and four conference play. So bowl game for Tony Sanchez, and also let me ask you this because we're both have bowl game. With it being year four, if he doesn't, if he somehow wins only five games, is he uh, gonna return? Because he's twelve and twenty-four through three years. I mean, I think that he would, but I also think like if that were the case, that going into twenty nineteen, Tony Sanchez. His situation would look a lot like Matt Wells' situation going into last year. Okay. But he's safe pretty much outside of going like 2-10? and 10. I think as long as they avoid a very – what I consider to be a very unlikely collapse, that you know his job is safe regardless, yeah. Okay. I am surprised, Matt. This um, Do you want to take a guess how long this episode was? Uh, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. It's going to be 80 minutes here once I wrap it up. Nice. So it's uh, I'm surprised UNLV. It's a West Division team. I guess we had defensive. What if really took took it out of this, right? <laughs> well, we also spent like five or ten minutes talking about food. So we did. Hey, what's wrong with food, man? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. So all right. So that's our show for today. UNLV recap or not recap preview in the books. Check us out mwr.com, Facebook, Twitter. Um, our top fifty countdown still ongoing. Hey, if you want to give us a buck or two, go to patreon.com backslash mwcwire to just um ad free stuff over there you you're posting up the uh, previews every uh, few days early i got this podcast up probably a week earlier than what you're thinking or when it should be on our feed but if you do that great if not if you just read it we love it if you listen we love it subscribe uh, tell a friend we're also doing a few more mini previews you've heard that we had a byu one which apparently cost some uproar math as expected <laughs> people seem to like it they've they've listened it's good yes people my good buddy mitch harper we hopped on talk because byu plays half the league Almost. So it's like, why not, right? Why not, indeed? So we have a couple others. Like, I chat with our buddy Brandon Blake, who does Nevada. He's a big Florida guy. We chat about that. We have a few older ones, Wisconsin. And I want to say a few others I can't think of because it's been a while. Because I've been moving and not recording those as frequently. So look for that. Meet, and um, probably more by the time you hear this. And just uh, keep going. We're, neat. We're so close to football, Matt. By the time you hear this one, fall camps will be underway. And then we can actually... Um, who knows what we'll be doing? We'll be doing more stuff. So thanks for hopping on. Thanks for listening. And as always, um, yeah, check us out at mwr.com and we'll see you next time, folks.